Nobody wakes up addicted. Nobody wants to fail. None of us begin hopeless. Paths of shame and guilt can be opportunities to encounter God's limitless mercy. Today, someone is waiting to hear the good news. Jesus entered our world to reveal God's love. And someone came to you in your darkness to speak the truth of that love. Inspired kindness, born from a heart of mercy, is all it takes to move someone closer to Jesus. Be that inspiration. Be the healing voice of the Father to the neglected, depressed, and addicted. One phrase may be all it takes to set them free. One spark of hope can change a life. So the theme verse I want us to, to consider is this. In Luke chapter 14, verse 23, go out to the highways, which requires some movement, some action, some responsibility on our side. We go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. You can look at that context and see you know, how, what uh, Jesus is illustrating there. But, but I just capture this picture that when, when we leave this place, we go with intentionality. We don't just go, okay, well, I'll just see you guys next week, and I go about my business. So we go out with an intentionality. We go everywhere intentionally to, to, to share and show the love of Jesus and to bring the gospel to people. There are people hurting. There are people that feel hopeless and helpless. And we have the privilege of knowing an eternal God who has the power, a way maker, who can change their life. And so it, it takes investment on our side. It takes, uh, by, by God's Holy Spirit, some inspiration. To, it's, it's sometimes not a lack of information in people's lives. They know a lot about Jesus, but they're just not inspired because they don't see any change in your life. And then it takes some inviting. At some point, you have to ask the question, what keeps you from trusting Jesus? What, what's, what's, what's keeping you away from from really diving in all in with, with Christ and, and trusting the salvation that he provides. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look just at the first 12 verses, a very familiar passage to many of you. Four men and a paralytic on a mat. But I want to use this to kind of draw our attention to say, how do we put our, our feet in the sandals of these, these four men? The same story is told in, in Matthew chapter 9 and also Luke chapter 5, so it's paralleled stories. But, but I, I'm drawn to Mark chapter 2 to kind of give us an illustration here. I, I love the gospel of Mark. It's a book of action. It, it, it bypasses the genealogies that both Matthew and Luke give. And Mar Mark focuses not on the king of the Jews like Matthew would. He focuses on Jesus being the servant of all. You'll see that 41 times in the book of Mark. The servant of all. And, and as I consider what we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, Emmanuel Sataki last week and then the prior week when we talked about just uh, spreading the gospel around the world, it, it really takes us having a, a heart of serving, leading by serving. How are we serving others that we could lead them to Jesus? 
And Jesus illustrates this perfectly through the book of, of Mark. He's the servant of all. So in Mark chapter 2, you're going to see how this is illustrated in these, the lives of these four men who are serving someone so they could come to Jesus. It says in verse 1, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, just pick up the black Bible in the pew rack right in front of you, and you can turn to page 786. If you personally don't own a Bible, take that with you. It's a gift from our church to you because I want you to have the copy of the Word of God that will change your life. So here you see in, in verse 1, and when he returned, this is Jesus returned to Capernaum. After some days, it was reported that he was at home. Probably, by the way, at Peter's home. If you look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 29, that's kind of where they're, they're hanging out. And verse 2 says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, even at the door. I mean, people are crushed into this house. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. I want you to notice it, it says four men. It does not say four friends. It doesn't say four family members. Perhaps it could be. But sometimes we go, oh, his four friends. Because we assume sometimes if we're going to move in someone's life, we have to be related to them or, or know them very well. Listen to me. You can help people you don't even know come to Jesus. Don't be afraid to just start loving on people. And, and sometimes people say, and, and, and it's helpful to have a long-term relationship with someone, but sometimes we go, oh, well, I can't really share Jesus. I haven't known them long enough. Listen, you can walk up to somebody on the street, make an instant connection with them, and tell them about Jesus. You really can. Heck, riding on the bus, sitting at a, a park, you know what the best place to, to, to share Christ with? Sitting in a doctor's room waiting office. Everybody's frustrated, and you just start sharing the gospel with people. Hey, you know what? You know, one day, we don't have to wait any longer. Jesus is going to come back for all of us if we trust in Jesus. What, what do you believe? What, do you go to a good church? If not, hey, you know, they're not going anywhere because they're still waiting, so th they might want to get out. But I tell you what, <clears throat> the doctor might be give them some physical healing, but Jesus is going to give them eternal healing. Share the gospel with people. And so, always carry a track with you. Carry, carry a, a, a little New Testament. I know Robert's got one all the time. Uh, so, just be ready. You don't have to be related or a friend to somebody. Just be willing to help carry some people to Jesus. And verse 4, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, you consider this picture. Perhaps you, you've read this before. You've seen this illustrated in, the, in some type of TV show or movie. These four men, they, they saw the obstacle, and they climbed the outside staircase. They measured, and they calculated exactly where Jesus would be standing in the house underneath them. They cut a large hole, large enough to put a full-grown-sized man on a mat down into uh, the house and right in front of Jesus. <laughs> that takes a lot of effort. And I, I know some of us could get a little uh, um, discouraged when things don't always work out as nice as it could. You know, hey, let's just go through the front door. We can't go through the front door. Okay, well, what time's the second service? You know, what, maybe we'll try it next week. No, these men, you've got to hand it to them. They were determined to succeed. They were not going to be detoured. The, the, the men were willing to be a little unorthodox in their methods, whatever it takes, and think outside the box. And these men were undeterred by the obstacles or the cost of overcoming 
the crowds, or the roof. Were they disruptive to the meeting? Yes. Were they effective at accomplishing their goal? Absolutely. Sometimes we give up way too soon before we're effective at accomplishing what God is desiring to do. And these four men work together. This is the one time you can certainly look at this and say, four of a kind beats a full house. They beat them. I want you to think about what four of a kind really means to us. These four of a kind were four of a kind in their heart and mind. They sought the, the healing of the paralytic. They wanted him to hear from Jesus. They were four of a kind in their motive. Whatever it takes, we are motivated to get him to the Savior, no matter the obstacles. They were four of a kind in their motion. They had to work together in unison to get one person to Jesus. Oh, how I wish the church would resemble these four men. They didn't go in their opposite directions. Had to, uh, they tried to say, well, I want to go this plan or I want to go that plan. They had four different directions. They would have never accomplished the goal. They had to work together to see people come to Jesus. You know, there are some say, oh, if you're hurting, I'll help you. Others say, oh, if you're broken, I'll fix you. Listen to this. As believers, we don't say any of that. We say, I see you as valuable because Christ loves you. Therefore, I will serve you and bring you to Jesus because he's the only one that can truly help. He's the only one that can truly fix. Don't take on a responsibility that's not yours. Your responsibility, your privilege is simply to bring people to Jesus. Don't try to fix people. Don't try to, to help them in, in your own mechanisms. Just bring them to Jesus and let him do the work that only he can do. Just love them enough to serve them in that way. You know, I look at this passage, and you may not know anybody laying on a mat as a paralytic, but you know, para paralysis is very similar in, in definition to sin. Jesus even said it in, when he talked about, you know, uh, that uh, we're the branch, uh, you know, we're, you know he, he's the vine, we're the branch. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Uh, unless we're connected to Jesus, we are paralyzed. Unless we've been forgiven, sin has us captive and bound. And there's a lot of people in our world that are bound to sin and unable. There's no desire. There's no, there's no motive. There, there, there's not any energy to follow Jesus. And we need to bring some paralyzed people to Jesus. And can, Jesus can break the chains. He can give new life. He can forgive and restore he can give hope to the hopeless. We, we can't break the chains of sin in people's lives. We pray for, for, for spouses and siblings. We pray for people in our lives that are so bound in, uh, under drug addiction or, 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 or some kind of sin that has them so captive. And, and you're saying, well, I'm trying to help. Just bring them to Jesus and let Jesus take care of it. Work with some other people that says, we're going to pick them up and just bring this paralyzed, sinful person to Jesus and watch him give them hope and life and movement. Oh, how we need some people who care enough to expose people to Jesus. I want you to see what it says in verse 5. Sometimes we focus so much on the paralytic man, I think we forget what Jesus was seeing. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, plural, their faith, 
He saw the faith of these four men. Certainly, it could include the faith of the man on the mat, and we'll deal with that in just a few moments. But I want you to think about this. Jesus saw their faith, at, 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 at least the four men who were bringing this paralytic to Jesus. I wonder if Jesus sees our faith when we're putting effort into bringing people to him. We see what these men did. But Jesus sees their faith. They had faith enough to bring someone in need of Jesus, no matter the cost. Our faith, when it fully invested, has the potential to impact other people. Now, unfortunately, not all Christians get involved in investing in the lives of others. Some rarely ever help others get to know Jesus. And even in this passage, I want you to consider those sitting in this room. There were people sitting in the house. There were others blocking the doors. They were either simply oblivious to the needs of the paralytic and others outside of those doors, either oblivious or they were callous. Yeah, they've got problems. But I want to get in first so I can have my needs met. There are people with needs all around us. Are we oblivious or are we callous? Or are we helping them come to Jesus? Jesus saw the faith of these four men. I want you to consider your faith. How important is it to you that your family and friends come to Jesus? How important is it to you that your family and your friends come to Jesus? How important is it to you that, that your coworkers and your neighbors come to Jesus? How important is it to you that that those who live within a driving distance of this church come to Jesus. We can say, well, it's important to us, and walk outside this door and never think about it again. You know where you know where your priorities really are? By how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, how you spend your prayer time. Because if it's important, if it's essential, it is a motivation that drives you every day. How committed are you? Not just how important is it, but how committed are you to bringing people to Jesus? How motivated is your faith to invest in the lives of others until they are face-to-face -face with Jesus? Let's move into the passage here. This is, this is three points. If you're taking notes, it's on the back of your bulletin. But here's three things I, I wanted to point out because I believe we need to intentionally invest in the lives of others because... The first one, because who Jesus is. This isn't about the four men. It's not about the paralytic. It's all about Jesus. Why would we want to invest in the lives of others? So we can get a gold you know, star on our report card. So we can say, well, we've tried something this week. No, it's because Jesus is worth all of our effort and attention and allegiance. That we want others to know the greatness of God because of who he is. I want you to know his person his position. If there are people ignorant, if there are people sinful and separated from God, I want them to know Jesus because of who he is. In verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, but you may know, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth. You know, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about him as the Son of God. In, in chapter 1, verse 24, it calls Jesus the Holy One of God. In, in chapter uh, 2, verse 10, he's the son of man here. The most preferred self-description of Jesus used 81 times in the gospel was son of man. 
He is God, and he's God in the flesh. He came to rescue us. He took on flesh, so he humbled himself. God on high took on flesh, humbled himself, made himself a servant even to the point of death. He came to serve us where we could not serve ourselves. There is nothing about our lives that will ever gain favor because of what we do. No favor with God because of our, 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 our efforts. So therefore, God took on flesh. His name is Jesus. The book of Mark describes the Son of Man in his serving capacity. Here in verse 10 and verse 28, it talks about Jesus as the Son of Man in his suffering capacity. In chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 14, it talks about Jesus as the Son of Man as the one coming in glory. In chapter 8, 13, and 14, these men had faith in the person of Jesus Christ And as God in the flesh, he was the servant of all. Our friend doesn't just need some faith healer. Our friend needs Jesus because he is the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's the Holy One sent from God. This is why the Jews were so upset. Jesus is doing what only God could do. You notice in verse 7, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the point. Who is speaking here? Who's doing the preaching in this house? Who are people crushing in to see? God alone. And they were missing it. But these four men saw it. These men had faith that Jesus was God and knew that if they brought this paralytic to Jesus, Jesus could change his life. Listen, if you had cancer, and I knew a a doctor in Virginia that was 100% effective at getting rid of that cancer, I would bring you to him. But I don't know such a doctor. But I do know Jesus, and he is an almighty God who can redeem your soul for eternity. These men saw that Jesus was not just a faith healer. He was God. He had the position, the authority. I want you to see uh, the second uh, point that I see in this text is this. We intentionally invest in the lives of others because of what Jesus says, his preaching. You notice in verse 2, he was preaching the word to them, the word, logos. These men had faith in the person of Jesus and in the preaching of Jesus. What Jesus says actually changes lives. This is why we should not uh, hide the Word of God. We should expose it. Don't just give your words to people. Give God's words to people. It is sharper than a a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce the heart. Bring the Word of God to people. What Jesus says changes their lives. I want you to know what Jesus actually preaches. It says just briefly in verse 2 that he preaches the Word of God to them. Mark doesn't unpack that because he's already explained in chapter 1, this is what Jesus preaches. Look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, and he was proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news. And verse 15 says, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's his message. Repent, 
change your mind, change your direction, repent and believe the gospel. Change where you're going and turn to God and believe the good news that only Jesus can save. That was his message. What was he preaching in this house? That message. Let's bring our friend, uh, let's bring this man on the mat to Jesus. Why? Because he calls people to repentance and to believe the gospel. Some would say that these four men were bringing this man to a healing service. There is no evidence in the text it was a healing service. Why were people crushed into the house? What was Jesus doing? He was preaching, which I find wonderful. Some people discount the power of preaching the Word of God. You know, you'll see enough on television, you'll see enough crusades around the world, oh, it's going to have a healing service, and they rarely crack open the Bible. You know, the only thing that changes the Word of God is the Spirit of God, using a child of God to preach the Word of God to the heart of sinners to transform them into adopted children of God. And let me just say this to to you. I, I pray for people's healing. I believe in healing. I'm praying for, for the Love family as Linda is seeing some recovery. Jennifer has been asking us to pray. We're praying for healing. But healing is still temporary on this earth. If, if you're cured of cancer, you're still going to die someday. You know, if you're healed and you have a perfect body for, for 120 years, you're eventually going to expire. The question is, are you dead spiritually or have you been made alive eternally in him? The Word of God transforms hearts and minds forever. The best the doctor can do over at the Lynchburg General is, is, is put some duct tape on it and keep you alive for a little longer by God's grace. I'm thankful when God heals us, but realize that's temporary. When, when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and he was dead, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Martha and Mary are like, woo, you know. But Lazarus come out, and, and, and he disrobes, and, and, and he was dead for three, four days, and now he's alive. Guess what? Lazarus died again. Later, he was going to die because this world was not his home. He was passing through. And when we talk to people about Jesus, I wonder, do we talk more about their temporary health or their eternal destiny? We ought to be preaching the Word of God, bringing the everlasting transformative Word of God into the hearts and minds of people. The Spirit of God will use it to help people come to faith. And so this was not a healing service, though it became a healing service. It was a preaching service, and these are what these four men were doing. Preaching the gospel, calling people to repentance, to believe the good news that we could not save ourselves, but Jesus would by his death, burial, and resurrection. These men had faith enough to know that if people heard the gospel and believed, they would be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. You ought to have the word of Christ on your tongue ready to share at any time. Romans 6, uh, 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, I may be a simple man, but I still believe people, when exposed to the gospel, can be saved. I still believe in our, our technology culture and, and our, our ins and outs and all the, the, the new fabricated things we have. I still believe when we just share the simple gospel with people about Jesus, they can and will be saved. People in my home, people in my neighborhood, people uh, in this community, 
if we will simply invest our lives in those around us and let them hear Jesus' gospel, we will see transformed lives for eternity. Is anybody ready to share the gospel with somebody who needs it? We've got to believe that he can heal and, and, and break the, the, the bounds of, of the chains of sin and uh, of all kinds of chemical dependencies and all kinds of traps that people have found themselves in and all the, 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 the desperation that people are seeking uh, hope in, and it's always unfulfilling. We've got to have that kind of faith. Are we willing to share the words, the preaching of Jesus to see if we'll invest Jesus will save. Here's the third and final thing I want you to see here. They, we intentionally invest in the lives of others because of what Jesus does. I want you to see his power here in verse 5. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some theologians believe they only came for healing, but I believe it was far more. In Matthew chapter 9, he, he says, Take heart, my son. Uh, technon is the Greek word. He, it's an affection for a younger man. I, I love you, is what he's saying with son. I love you, and I am forgiving you because of faith. Jesus could see that this man really, what he really needed and offered him what he truly needed was forgiveness. In Psalm 103, verse 12, this is what I believe about what Jesus does to our sin. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes your transgression, your sins, from us. You realize when someone is face-to-face -face with Jesus and the forgiveness he offers, that all the baggage they've been carrying can be removed, and Jesus has a great right arm that can chunk that thing from the rough, as far as the east is from the west. I mean, that's one linear line. It's going so far away, it will not be account, uh, on your account any longer. How many people in our community, how many people in our families, extended families, need to hear that they can be forgiven and all be made clean? Forgiveness is a legal position. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it's not just I feel better about you or I'll just, I'll just kind of brush it under the rug. It's a legal position, meaning it has been justified, satisfied, Guilt removed, no longer held accountable to those sins. Sin is our biggest problem in this world because it separates us from a holy God. And too often we think our greatest need is money or health or vacations. Oh, if I could just have a vacation. But listen, your greatest need is Jesus, and your greatest hope that you can give someone else is that they can be forgiven and loved by a holy God, not because they deserve it, is because they simply have faith in the one who has promised it. In our time remaining, I just want you to think about these men. If these men had faith in the power of Jesus to forgive sin. But not all in attendance that day had that kind of faith. Verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blasphemy who can forgive sins but God. In verse 8, it says, And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that the, they thus questioned within themselves. I want you to notice that Jesus shows his divinity in, in three ways right here. He shows that he knows the heart of people. They didn't say it to him. They were grumbling over on the side. But he knows our hearts. We're exposed already. 
And, and I want you to notice that it, it, showing his divinity, he shows that he agrees with this doctrinal de- uh, declaration. Who can forgive sins but God? See, he never denies at this point, well, I'm not God. I'm just being nice to this young man. No, he, he, he accepted it. Yes, nobody can forgive sins but God. Guess what? who you're looking at? I am God. And he shows that he has the authority by displaying his power. I want you to notice what he says right after this. He said to them, and it was two direct questions about their own faith. Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? I mean, you're questioning. You know, what should I have said? Because his greatest need is, is healing of his soul, not healing of his body. But I'll, I'll show you something, he says. In verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. How about you? Can you be forgiven? You know the laundry list of things that have been in your past. You know the things that you're battling with in your own spirit right now. Can you be forgiven? Jesus from the New Testament says yes. It doesn't matter how vile or distant you have been. By faith in the Son of God, you can be forgiven. Can people in our community be forgiven? Can that obnoxious neighbor, can that, uh, that uh, hateful uh, co-worker and boss, can those, uh, can those nasty professors who love the red pen on your papers, can they be forgiven? <laughs> can that uncle, can that child, can they be forgiven? Sometimes you can't see it, but we sang it. Even when I don't see you working, he he never stops. He never stops working. When you trust in the one who can rescue you from the penalty of sin, when you trust in the one that can protect you from the power of sin, when you trust in the one that can remove the presence of sin, when your life has been transformed by Jesus, you will join the crowd in verse 12. You will be amazed and glorify God. Let me share a testimony of Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller was a playwright, and he wrote in his autobiography, Time Bends, about his, his life, but also about his, his difficult marriage with Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe was married to several people, and here, here was one of the, the men she was married to, Arthur Miller. And he writes in there, contrasting uh, to her, quote, dumb blonde, this is what he said, dumb blonde screen image to who he really knew. And Arthur Miller found her to be bright and, and a thoughtful woman who struggled with deep depression and despair which tells me a lot about a lot of people. Sometimes what we see on the outside is not what's really happening in their heart and behind closed doors. 
And though Marilyn, he, he writes this, though Marilyn had grown up in a Christian conservative home and he grew up in a Jewish home, neither of them were trusting God as adults. And because of Marilyn's drug addiction, she grew increasingly paranoid, believing that someone was trying to kill her. One night, a doctor had given her a tranquilizer to help her sleep. And Arthur writes this, quote, The most peace she ever received was in her sleep. As I stood over her, watching her sleep, I found myself straining to imagine miracles. What if she were to awake and I were able to say, God dearly loves you? And she were able to believe it. How I wish I still had my religion and she had hers. This is from a Jewish man who was no longer connected to his faith. But when he looked at the desperation of his wife in those moments, he just knew, we both need God. You know what the truth is? We all need God. And there are people needing you to step into their lives and just say, God dearly loves you. And he is offering forgiveness. Repent of where you are and just receive the blessing, the forgiveness, the, the eternal life that Jesus gives. You know, we sang a song a little earlier called Only Jesus. Only Jesus. We're going to sing that again in a moment. But I, I just want you to consider, you know, what's going to change somebody? Only Jesus. What's going to really bring somebody out of the pit of despair? Only Jesus. What's going to uh, uh, reconcile relationships that are so damaged? Only Jesus. Who's going to make a difference in someone who is in a comatose state and, and unable to even respond? Only Jesus. Who's going to help those who are really questioning their purpose in life? Only Jesus. As we sing in a few moments, would you sing it with conviction? And may we leave this place, whether we go to a community group or we just go out to the community, that people need Jesus, and the only thing that's going to really help them is Jesus. And you are the conduit by which the Holy Spirit is going to bring that truth, that love, and that transformation.